Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can grab a seat wherever you are. It's good to see you. We've actually got a few people here in the congregation this morning, which is beautiful. And uh, we can have 20 in the room now, and we, we need to perhaps start doing that every Sunday somehow. Uh, even if it's only a very small percentage, obviously, of our whole church. Uh, a little bit like the football last night where there was 2,000 people there uh, in a crowd of 50,000 for the showdown. I was one of them, and uh, the less said about that game, the better. But anyway, um, <laughs> that's life. Um, hey, I want to just uh, start by saying um, I mentioned the football. Uh, actually, there's a lot of serious stuff going on in the world right now. I think we know that. And uh, I want to just say that as, uh, as a church, as followers of Jesus, uh, I want to encourage us to be praying for our world at the moment. And I want us to encourage you to be praying for our politicians, for our world, world pray for developing nations, uh, pray for um, uh, leading nations in the world, uh, because there's a lot of stuff going on in so many different ways in our world at the moment. And I just think we need to be aware of what's going on and praying for it. Um, before I get into the message, I also want to say, there's a couple of things I want to say this morning. Firstly, as Ben mentioned, I want to thank our church for our, our ongoing uh, generosity. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we, uh, we shared around Baptist World Aid and gave people an opportunity to give to that. Uh, a few weeks prior to that, we gave people an opportunity to support Food Bank. And as a church, uh, we have just, I think, shown great generosity first to the Food Bank Project and secondly to Baptist World Aid. In terms of money given so far as one-off gifts or pledged, we're looking at more than $13,000 towards that, which then you add on the uh, ongoing sponsorship uh, of, um, of people who give through ongoing child sponsorship. And it's a fantastically generous response to that opportunity. And um, also just in our regular giving, we're continuing to see people giving faithfully. So thank you for that. Thank you to those who are serving in this time. We've got Zoom group leaders. We've got tech people. We've got worship people. And so if you're part of serving through this season, thank you. And finally, to everyone who just continues to be connected to our church just by tuning in and by staying connected, by connecting with people. Thank you and well done. That's what we need to do in this season and hopefully soon enough. Uh, as, uh, as has been said, we're going to be coming out of it. Um, uh, also, before I get into my message, something really exciting to share this morning is uh, in these times, we have actually uh, felt that it is right to um, make a staffing appointment, a one-day-a-week staffing appointment. And so, um, as you know, online church has been happening. It's been really the way we've been doing church, and the other way we've been communicating is through social media. And uh, we just believed, as we reflected as a leadership, that it is really vital that at this time we put an investment in this area of ministry, which is really how we are reaching beyond ourselves. In fact, even when church goes back to normal, the key way we see that we are one of the key ways, perhaps the key way that we can reach beyond our church walls to reach people who are not normally part of church or not normally part of faith is actually through media, social media, and online church. And so with that in mind, we've made a strategic decision uh, to bring Laura Williams, who was on keys this morning, uh, into a one-day-a-week role to start with as a creative director, overseeing everything around social media, media, and creative stuff. And uh, we're looking in time to move that to a two-day-a-week role that will require... Uh, a church vote, but for now, one day a week, Laura's come straight into that role, and we just think that it's so important. Um, 
You know, in the early days of the gospel, um, the gospel went out because of a few key things like Roman roads. The Roman road system enabled the gospel to actually travel throughout the Roman world really quickly. And then in the 1500s, the printing press enabled the Bible to be printed and be put in people's hands. And so technology has, through history, been a way where the gospel actually goes out. And right now, the internet is a way that probably we as, as a church have been missing the opportunity to share the gospel using this technology. And we want to do that really, really well. And so we're investing resource in that area. So Laura's here. I'm going to just pray for her. Do you want to come up here really quickly, Laura? And uh, I, I sort of, yeah, I'll put my hand on your shoulder, but I've got to do it at 1.5 meters. So let's just pray a blessing upon Laura. Father, thank you for Laura. Uh, many people have seen the way that she serves up front. She's got an incredible gifting in worship and singing and leading worship and playing. But uh, what many people probably haven't seen is her faithfulness in the way she's been serving uh, as a volunteer uh, week in, week out for, for uh, ever since she's really stepped in to become part of this church. And also her skills in this area of creativity and design and media and all of these things. So Lord, we want to just pray a rich blessing upon her and we pray that through her ministry we would see many people come to hear the name of Jesus and to hear the gospel message and come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's really our prayer in this ministry that through the the, the media, online media, online church, through all these means people would come to know Jesus. So we pray for Laura as she starts out in this role in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you. Okay. Well, let's get into the message, hey? Um, let's look at this. This is uh, today the last message in our series in Jeremiah. Who's been loving uh, the series on Jeremiah? I have. I think it has been unbelievable. Uh, we chose to do this series before the whole COVID-19 crisis. What we have seen is that week in, week out, these messages uh, seem God-ordained for this time. And I have just loved being able to preach it. I've loved when I've not been able to preach, uh, listening to the messages. And, uh, and this morning, we get to the final message. We get to hear how the story ends, or as much as is revealed in Jeremiah about how the story ends. So let's recap the whole story of Jeremiah, start to finish, in one minute. So, Jeremiah's a prophet, okay? We know that by now? Yes, Jeremiah's a prophet. And he's, he's living and he's ministering in the southern kingdom of Judah. Israel's been divided into two nations. The northern kingdom, which is called Israel. The southern kingdom, which is called Judah. Its capital is Jerusalem. And Jeremiah is called by God to bring a message or ongoing messages over many years to the people of Judah. And to give a warning about an impending judgment that's coming because they have failed to care for orphans and the poor. They've turned to idols and they've rejected God. God says, you've got to repent and turn back to me. And if not, Babylon is going to come from the north and bring a judgment uh, upon Judah. The people, year after year, ignore, ignore Jeremiah. They beat him up. They imprison him. They totally refuse to listen him, to him. And so in the end, Babylon comes. And Babylon camps outside Jerusalem and besieges the city and then breaks down the gates and they come in. And what they do is they, they burn down the, you know, they tear down the temple, they burn down the palaces, and then they take all the important people, all the priests, all the political leaders, and they take them back 
to Babylon. And they take all basically the powerful, important people out of there into captivity into Babylon. And, uh, and then um, in the midst of that, Jeremiah writes to the captives and says, hey, uh, you're going to be there for a long time. You're not going to be there for two years. There's some false prophets are saying you're going to be there for 70 years. So settle down, build houses, get married, pray for the prosperity of the city while you're there. And that's kind of where we're up to in the story. Now, um, here's the interesting thing about Jeremiah, is the book of Jeremiah is completely out of chronological order. And it's not exactly clear why. There's no real rhyme or reason to it. But uh, just some of the passages we've preached through, Jeremiah is imprisoned, if you remember that. That's chapter 37. But uh, while he's imprisoned, he buys a field. That's in chapter 32. Um, The fall of Jerusalem happens in chapter 39, but it's in chapter 29 that he writes a letter to the exiles uh, who have been sent out of Jerusalem. So it's all completely out of order. And the very last bits of Jeremiah are chapter 42 to 44. That's the last bit chronologically that we have, even though Jeremiah goes on to chapter 52. So make sense of that. I can't, most commentators don't, but we've just got to go with it. So this bit that I'm preaching this morning is actually the end of Jeremiah, even though it's not at the end of Jeremiah. So here's the question. What happened to Jeremiah? What happened to him? Uh, Why didn't he go back and and get exiled with everyone else? Well, this is what actually happened. When they grabbed all the exiles, they did grab Jeremiah. They grabbed all the important people. He was one of them. And they began to march them out of the city off to Babylon. Babylon. Right, big long journey, they're going to be marched like a captive army, a captive people from Jerusalem all the way back to Babylon. But they only get a little way out of Jerusalem and the king of Babylon realizes this prophet Jeremiah is amongst this captive people. And he stops this huge, imagine this huge column of thousands of people and he stops Jeremiah, he stops the whole, stops everyone and he pulls Jeremiah out and he gives him an offer. He says, come back to Babylon and basically we'll look after you. You'll be given special treatment. You'll hang out in the royal palace and we'll kind of protect you as a very important person. Or we'll give you the right to go back to Jerusalem and be with this broken remnant in this torn down city of Jerusalem. And so Jeremiah had a choice. He's actually going to choose Babylon, which actually is for him going to be comfort. Or he goes back to this mess of a city and this destroyed broken people the people who he was called to in Jerusalem what does Jeremiah do he chooses to go back to the people and that's uh, just Jeremiah again and again and again doesn't choose the easy choice he chooses the faithful choice he'll stick with his people he'll stick with the city that he was called to and he stays there so he goes to a guy called get a liar get a liar he goes to, to, to stay with him. Very quickly, Gedaliah gets killed by a guy called Ishmael. And then another guy called Johanan comes and runs Gedaliah out of the city. Okay. Um, and so Johanan is in charge now. And Johanan comes to Jeremiah at the start of chapter 42. And this is where we pick up the story. Okay, we're going to read to you a fairly long passage from Jeremiah 42. This might sound like ancient history. It is, but I'm going to tell you this is incredibly relevant to our lives. Jeremiah chapter 42. 
Then all the army officers, including Yohanan son of Kerah, and Jezaniah son of Hoshahiah, and all the people from the least to the greatest, approached Jeremiah the prophet and said to him, Please hear our petition and pray to the Lord your God for this entire remnant. For as you now see, though we were once many, now only a few of us are left. Pray that the Lord your God will tell us where we should go and what we should do. I've heard you, replied Jeremiah the prophet. I will certainly pray to the Lord your God as you have requested. And I will tell you everything the Lord says and will keep nothing back from you. Then they said to Jeremiah, May the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us. If we do not act in accordance with everything the Lord your God sends you to tell us, whether it's favorable or unfavorable, we will obey our God to whom we are sending you so that it will go well for us. For we will obey the Lord our God. That's what they said. Ten days later, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. So he called Yohanan, son of Korea, and all the army officers who were with him, and all the people from the least to the greatest. He said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your petition, says. If you stay in this land, this is in the land of Judah, in Jerusalem, if you stay in this land, I will build you up and not tear you down. I will plant you and not uproot you. For I have relented concerning the disaster I have inflicted on you. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, whom you now fear. Do not be afraid of him, declares the Lord. For I am with you and will save you and deliver you from his hands. I will show you compassion so that he will have compassion on you and restore you to your land. However, if you say, we will not stay in this land... And so disobey the Lord your God. And if you say, no, we will go and live in Egypt, where we will not see war or hear the trumpet or be hungry for bread, then hear the word of the Lord, you remnant of Judah. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. If you are determined to go to Egypt and do go and settle there, then the sword you fear will overtake you. And famine you dread will follow you into Egypt, and there you will die. Indeed, all who are determined to go to Egypt to settle there will die by the sword, famine, and plague. Not one of them will survive or escape the disaster I will bring on them. Okay, and this is what the people say in response to that. When Jeremiah had finished telling the people all the words of the Lord their God, everything the Lord had sent him to tell them. Azariah son of Hoshai and Johanan son of Korea and all the arrogant men have said to Jeremiah, you are lying. The Lord our God has not sent you to say you must not go to Egypt to settle there. But Barak son of Neriah is inciting you against us to hand us over to the Babylonians so that they may kill us or carry us into exile to Babylon. 
So Yohanan, son of Korea, and all the army officers and all the people disobeyed the Lord's command to stay in the land of Judah. Instead, Yohanan, son of Korea, and all the army officers led away all the remnant of Judah who had come back to live in the land of Judah from all the nations where they had been scattered. They also led away all those whom Nebuchadnezzar, commander of the imperial guard, had left with Gedaliah, son of Ahakim, son of Shaphan, the men, the women, the children, and the king's daughters. And they took Jeremiah the prophet and Barak, son of Neriah, along with them. So they entered Egypt in disobedience to the Lord and went as far as Taphanes. Oh, that's a long passage. Are you still with me in that one? We're going to, we're going to, we're going to, this is quite incredible stuff. Um, let's, uh, let's, let's start with a story. So I'm going to start with football. I always talk about football. Football is different than real life. When you get sick of real life, go to the football. When you go to the football, everything is ordered. The game has a clear starting point and a clear ending point. In fact, it's divided into four neat quarters. The ground is perfectly manicured in an AFL game. The players come out looking good in their, in their guernseys and uniforms. Everything is ordered. Everything is structured. The scoreboard tells you who's winning and who's losing. Last night, my team was losing. But even then, at the end of the game, after the game finishes, you walk out of the ground and you go, go home. The scoreboard tells you exactly what happened. The, the siren tells you when play starts and when plays finishes. And the umpires are there to set the rules and make everything try to flow as neatly as possible. How different life is. In life, sometimes in the middle of a situation, you're not quite sure when it's the beginning the middle or the end. In life sometimes you think the purpose is one thing but there's other people living for a different purpose and it's not quite exactly sure what the plan is or what direction it's going and sometimes instead of having teammates around you, you can feel all alone. In life there's no division, in life there's no clear umpire, in life things are not neat. You don't just get in your car at the end and drive home. In life, it carries on day after day and you're left trying to figure out where, where, what is happening. Who is winning? How am I going? Where is this headed? When will it end? These are the questions we face in real life. Sometimes it's easier in life to live in the sport, in the game, or to live in the Netflix series, or to live in the favourite movie where we kind of know the story and we've seen it a hundred times. You know the movie you watch where you love it so much that you actually know just about every word in it? You know that at the end, the guy gets the girl and they live happily ever after and it's beautiful and you can cry in the last scene. I don't really like those movies, but uh, some people do. It's easy to live in that world. We love to retreat to fantasy because real life is tough. Real life is difficult. Real life is uncertain. This passage is all about the decision to live by faith or to live according to our own actions and decisions. 
Are you living by faith? Are you walking by faith daily? Or are you like this group of people struggling with that choice and wanting to take hold of things that seem secure? Let's summarize this passage because it was a really long passage. It's actually a very simple summary. The people say, where should we go? Jeremiah, pray to God that he will tell us where we should go. Jeremiah says, okay, I'll pray to God. Jeremiah prays, and and after he said he would go and do it, they say three times, Jeremiah, we're going to obey whatever you say. Whatever God says, we're going to obey it. They double down on it. Even if it's bad, even if it's not what we want to hear, just tell us, Jeremiah, we are going to listen. Jeremiah comes back and says, stay right here. God's got you. Live by faith. Don't go to Egypt. If you go to Egypt, you're going to die. What do the people say? You're lying. You're lying. We are going to go to Egypt. And that's exactly what they did. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Why did they do that? Well, let me, let me start by talking about Egypt and Israel. Egypt and Israel, in fact, Babylon also, right through Scripture, these three cities represent specific things. So Babylon, right through Scripture, represents opposition to God. It represents hatred of God. So you go right to Revelation and you get these strange pictures in Revelation of like the woman and the beast and the woman has got a sign on her head and it says Babylon the Great. Babylon is in Revelation. It's a symbol of rebellion against God. Israel represents the promised land. Israel represents shalom, living at peace with God, in right relationship with God. It represents Sabbath being at rest, living by faith. That's Israel. And the third place is Egypt. What does Egypt represent? Egypt represents over and over again uh, uh, something that seems secure apart from God. So Egypt is like, Egypt is the thing you hold on to when you're not willing to live by faith. And there's this incredible history of the Israelites and Egypt even in, a, in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham gets called to leave his home and to go to the place where God is leaving him, the land of Canaan. And he goes to that place, uh, but when he gets there, within 10 verses, there's a drought in Canaan. And so where does he go? Egypt. He goes to Egypt. Genesis chapter 37, Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers and he's taken to Egypt. Come on, congregation, I've got some people here this morning. Uh, Genesis 42, there's a, there's a famine in the land, so Joseph's brothers think, where are we going to go for security? So they go to Egypt. This is brilliant. And, uh, and then uh, what happens? They get stuck there for 400 years. They become slaves in that place. God leads them out of Egypt. This is the great story of the Israelites. They're led out of Egypt in the Exodus. They're led from slavery to freedom. They cross miraculously through the Red Sea. They get into the desert. And within a couple of chapters, they're saying, why did you lead us out here? Gee, I wish we were living in Egypt. (laughs) This is great. In 1 Kings, King Solomon wants to make a political alliance to shore up his political security. So he marries off, um, or he marries the daughter of Pharaoh so he can have protection from 
Egypt. And then earlier in Jeremiah, when the Babylonians are threatening, uh, the first thing they do is they reach out to the army of Egypt. Egypt comes and protects them. Babylon backs off. Then they go home. This is Egypt. Egypt goes back to Egypt, the army. And then they think we're safe from Babylon. They're not going to attack again because if they do, Egypt will come and protect us. But actually they don't. Egypt doesn't protect them and Babylon overruns them. This is an incredible thing. Isn't it interesting how there's this repeated pattern over and over? Actually, you see this in so many times in Scripture, a repeated pattern over and over and over, and yet people fail to learn the lessons from the past. We do that too. We do that too, all too often. So I'm going to talk this morning about four, I'm going to make four observations about things that we do all too often. I'm going to ask you four questions. And what I want you to do is, if you've got a pen and paper, I want you to write these questions down. They're kind of long, so I'll put them out on the website, on the social media afterwards. But four questions, because I want you to actually write these down. I want you to think about them in this sermon, but I want you to do more than that. I want you to take them away, and I want you to spend time with God after this message is done, sometime in the coming week. I want you to pray about these questions, and I want you to ask yourself deeply in prayer, in reflection, to consider these questions and ask God to speak into them, into your life. So here's the first observation. First observation is this, how easily and how how frequently we put our faith in things, places and people other than putting our trust in God. You know, this story would almost be a comedy if it wasn't a tragedy. I don't know if you've ever followed Monty Python. It, it, it reminds me of a Monty Python sketch. It's like, God, we will go wherever you want. Okay, we will do whatever you want to do. Okay, stay right here in the land. Uh, we, won't, we just won't do that. Just tell us. We'll do anything but that. Anything but that which you want us to do. You can understand why the people were nervous. The people left in Jerusalem had a, had a, a temple that had been torn down. Priests had been exiled the worship the sacrifices all the stuff that had happened that was part of their faith was gone Uh, the leaders had been killed they were powerless and so they had to hold on to something or they had to hold on to someone and just 300 kilometers to the south lay Egypt Egypt was powerful Egypt was secure right when there was whenever there was a a drought The place you could go to be sure of water was Egypt. Why? The Nile. They had secure water. Israel had to rely on the rain to fall to water the crops. Egypt had irrigation. It it had all this kind of stuff to offer protection. So Egypt represented oil, power, security, everything neat. Uh, It reflected not having to trust in God. And I just wonder how, I just, I reflect on the fact of how easy it is for us to reach out to something that is visible, something that seems sure, something that seems certain, and to hold on to that rather than simply putting our trust in God. It's like we, we've got God who is Lord of Lords and King of Kings and all-powerful and Creator and Sustainer, And yet God is kind of also the invisible God. And we love things that are visible. We love things that we can hold on to. 
So the first question I want to ask you is this, and I'm going to put this in the, in the, in the personal. Is, this is a question you can write down. Is there anything I am trusting other than God for my security? Is there anything I'm trusting other than God for my security? Now, we know there's, in life there's, there's things that, that, that put, give us security. You know, we've, we've all got superannuation. We've got employment that provides regular income. We've got, we've got a home that we lock at night that keeps us safe inside. These things are the normal things. But it's it's question of the heart. This is a question of the heart. It's actually where is my trust being placed? Is it in God alone or is it in these other things? Here's the question. If those things were taken away, would you still be trusting? If those things were taken away, would you still be trusting? Or would you be placed in a situation where just completely you'd be all at sea, fearful, worried, anxious, and just, just thinking this is, this is just, uh, you know, I'm in a panic? If that's the case, you've got to ask the question, where is your security really? Here's the second one. It's interesting how often we ask, I see people uh, ask God to give his blessing to decisions that we've already made rather than genuinely seeking God's will. How, how much do I see that? Someone actually, they're just kind of like, um, you know, deep down they're, they're saying, you know, they're saying, God, what do, I, what do you want me to do? But actually what they're saying is, God, I'm going to do this and what I want is your blessing for the decision I've already made. You know, many expositors, many people who have studied this passage in Jeremiah believe that this remnant had already determined to go to Egypt and what they were really asking for was Jeremiah's blessing. They consulted God like so many, not so much knowing to know what was right as wanting God to authorize what they had already decided. Decided. How often do we see this? But compare this to Jesus. Jesus is, the night before he chooses his disciples, goes up into the mountains and prays the whole night, seeking to determine and in communion with God, determine what his father's will was in this decision. And of course, we come back to that decision, which I just love. I actually think it's the, it's the passage linked to Jeremiah that is so profoundly speaks to me. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, who says, not my will, but yours. How different history would be if Jesus had said, well, I've actually made the decision. Father, just come and bless my decision. But Jesus in faithfulness got on his knees and prayed all night, not my will, but yours. And then give me strength, God, to go through this incredible suffering in in, uh, trust and faithfulness to what your plan is, Father. There's the second, here's the second question. Am I genuinely seeking God's will or am I just asking God to bless a decision I've already made? Here's the third one. Uh, third thing I observe in, in, uh, in, as I observe how we live out our faith so often is how easily we can be drawn back to the very things God has brought us out of. Someone comes to faith and, and they, they're lifted out of, out, of, out of an old life and they begin to follow Jesus. But then as we're living our life, we find that following Jesus is difficult and challenging and hard. And we look back to the old life and there's an attraction there to think, boy, it was simple and easy back there. You know, Keith Green uh, it was an old singer in the 70s who I love. He had this song, So You Want to Go Back 
to Egypt. That's what I've given the title of this sermon. You know, the Israelites are brought out of captivity and they're brought into the wilderness and it's merely a matter of days, it seems, before they go, gee, when we were back in Egypt, you know, we had, we had onions to eat, you know? Doesn't sound that appealing to me. But they're just like, they're like, wow, back there we had food. Back there life was good. Had they forgotten so quickly? They were slaves in Egypt. They were treated terribly in Egypt. They were being just incredibly badly looked after and just made to work so incredibly hard. But they look back and they're like, wow, it just, it seemed easy back there. It seemed so good. And even when, when God sort of helps us overcome an area of sin in our life, then I think the evil one wants to kind of bring us back to that and draw us back and be like, oh, come on, just, just, just step back. Just go back to that. Just go back to that. There's, there's, something, there's something easy about that. Make an easy choice. And as, as Christians, we've got to say, no way. I've been made new. I've been changed. God is at work in me. He's given me a new way to live. And I'm going to step forward into that life and I am not going back to Egypt but we are so easily drawn back to the very things God has brought us out of so here's the question is there anything in my life that God has brought me out of that I am being tempted to return to there's a power in being able to name those things being able to identify them and being able to say God and then you can start praying into that God strengthen me Holy Spirit give me strength to be strong in resisting this. Come alongside me, God. Build my faith that I might not go back to Egypt. Fourth thing, um, this is a big one. How often do I see that our decisions are based not on faith, but fear? How often are our decisions based on fear, not faith? There's all sorts of fears that can govern our decisions. There's all sorts of things where we come to make a choice, where there's this wrestle within us where we might sense, we might sense the call of God, but we know there are fears that seek to hold us back from actually stepping into the future God has for us. The biggest of these, perhaps the biggest of all, is the fear of, fear of man. The fear of man. What are other people going to think of me? What are other people going to say about me? What, 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 how am I going to be perceived in respect to other people's opinions? The fear of man is so incredibly powerful. Why? Because the, the voice of God needs to be discerned. The voice of God needs to be listened to. But actually, actually the, the, the voices of other people come thick and fast and come really quickly. You know, these... these uh, is, uh, um, people here of Judah come to come to Jeremiah. We want to listen. They're saying we want to listen. We want to hear. Um, but actually, what's the fear that stops them? It's the fear of Babylon, the fear of Babylon, the fear of this powerful army. You know, man can come against us. So we're we're not going to listen to God. We're gonna we're gonna have the fear of man guiding our decisions. We might have the fear of man. We might have the fear of failure. The fear of failure, which probably comes back to the fear of man anyway, because the fear of failure is often how we're perceived by others. Or the fear of the unknown. All these fears that, that we reflect on and, and influence us and shape our lives. But really the one we should be listening to, the only person we should be fearing is God himself in terms of a holy respect for God. And um, so we've got to be very careful what we're listening to. Um, 
You know, faith in God never really removes these voices. It never really removes these fears. But what it does is it begins to change us from the inside out. So we have the power to overcome these fears as we trust in God. And so the inner work of God begins to help shape our, our, our outer action. So here's the fourth, fourth question. Am I making decisions based on faith or fear? Am I making decisions based on faith and fear? And right now, if you're hearing this message and you have got a big decision in front of you, there's a question you can ask yourself. Am I basing this decision on my faith in God or on fear? And, uh, and also, here's another question to go with it. I haven't written this one down. What would the decision based on faith alone look like at this time for you? What would a decision based on faith alone look for you? There's a, there's a wow, that's a releasing question. You start saying, what would a decision based on faith look like? How many churches right now need to ask themselves this question and as a church we need to keep keep asking ourselves this question yes as a church we've seen growth yes as a church we've planted yes as a church we've been willing to change yes as a church we've been willing to make decisions um, and and uh, but but seriously we still face that risk that we that some point you kind of go this is this is all there is and we settle into the patterns of the new hills baptist and this becomes all we are what would a decision based on faith alone look like for Hills Baptist right now? If that's the question, we ask ourselves that question, pursue that and, and just pursue it prayerfully and then we step into what that is. That's what we got to do. That's what we got to do if you're part of some other Christian organization, if you're part of some other church, if you're a pastor from another church who's listening to that, what would a decision based on faith alone look like? If you're the leader in your family, if you're a, a parent, what would a decision based on faith alike alone look like? If you're a young adult making decisions about your future right now, what would a decision based on faith alone look like? So, how does the story end? Well, we read in the passage, the people go down to Egypt. But how does it end for Jeremiah? Well, here's, here's the tricky part. It doesn't tell us. <laughs> we never exactly find out. But what we do know is that Jeremiah goes down to Egypt. It was seen that he's not forced to go down to Egypt, but he goes in faithfulness to remain with the people he's been called to all along. It is one of the greatest ironies that Jeremiah, the great prophet to, the, to the, the city of Jerusalem and the people of Judah, probably ends up living in the foreign land of Egypt. He goes down there and he continues to speak to the people and the people continue to reject God. They begin worshipping an Egyptian God and worshipping idols again. Jeremiah ministers for more than 40 years and probably dies an old man in Jeremiah. So what do we make of his life? Was it a failure? Is Jeremiah's life a failure? I don't want to minister for 40 years myself and find that in the entire time, no one has ever listened to me. And that's what happens to Jeremiah. Is Jeremiah's life a failure? Well, I would say this, absolutely not. Why? Because Jeremiah chooses for his entire life to live by faith and to remain faithful to God's call on his life. Jeremiah chooses in going to Jerusalem to be where God commanded, 
to be at the center of God's action, at the place of God's promise, in the midst of, of, God's, um, of the defiance of God's people, he chooses to live by faith. Jeremiah becomes a hero of the faith, a model of commitment, a towering life, lived to the full. And so the question I ask, the last question is, well, how do we live with this kind of faith that Jeremiah lived with? And I think the answer to that question comes in what we're about to share, which is about to share around the table in communion. It's because in the midst of all the uncertainty, in the midst of all the rejection, in the midst of all the times people aren't listening to him, Jeremiah holds on to what is certain. You see, life might be full of uncertainty. The life of faith in this world, we look around, there's all this stuff we don't know. But let me remind you, there are certainties that we do know. And the certainties I want to remind you of this morning is the sure and certain hope that we have through Jesus Christ in our salvation, through his blood that was shed for us. We have the certainty of the presence of God with us when we invite him into our lives. And Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We have the certainty that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases that his mercies never come to an end. They are new. How often? Every morning. They are new every morning. And I want to remind you, whatever your situation, whether you're flying in your faith, or whether you're struggling in your faith, or whether you're just on the edge right now of wondering what you even believe, God's promise to you is this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His love for you never comes to an end. And his promises are new and his mercies are new every morning. So I'm going to ask if two people can just come and move the table in right now onto the stage. If the band want to come up, we're going to go gather around the table. We're going to share communion as we close out this service. And I want to remind you that the taking communion is not just, it's a simple act. Like you take this little bit of bread and you take a cup. It's a very simple act. But I want to remind you that taking communion is a powerful declaration. It is an act of faith. Every time you, you gather around this table, every time you take these elements, you take this little bit of bread and you take it and you eat it and you're reminded that the, this is the body of Christ that was broken for you. And then you take the cup and you're reminded this is the blood of Christ that was shed for you. This is the blood of a new covenant in His blood. A new covenant, promise, promise that God makes to us. A sure and certain promise. As it says in Hebrews, that this hope we have through Jesus is an anchor for our soul, sure and certain and secure through every storm. And every time we take communion, it's a declaration of faith. I'm going to live by faith. Taking this bread in this cup is saying, in all the uncertainty of life, I'm going to live by faith. This week, I choose to live by faith. Today, I choose to live by faith. I'm trying to find the passage in Corinthians. I think it's going to be up on your screens. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord, but I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. And said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
The same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. That's the hope we have. Christ is going to return. He's going to reconcile all things. The ultimate victory is his. And so we come this morning to make a declaration of faith in the uncertainty of life. I choose to live by faith. I'm not going to go back to Egypt. I'm not going to look for things in this life to hold on to as my security. My security is going to be in Christ alone. And I make that declaration in the bread and in the cup of communion. So if you've got those elements this morning, just in your own time now, uh, as we as we begin to sing and, and, and begin to go into our last song, just take them in your own time. Just pray, take the bread, take the cup. And as you do, pray to God and say, God, I want to live by faith. Help me to live by faith. Let's come and take these elements for those who are here this morning sharing this service. Uh, for those who are I think the band are going to be singing. But uh, in our own time, we'll just come and just take these elements. Let's do this now. The band want to lead us in our final song. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.